Welcome to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I'm your host, Steve Copeland, and thank you for tuning in. Let's have a great day. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be with you. I hope your week started off good today. Mine is. This fall weather is very invigorating, and I'm, and I'm loving every minute of it. Last week, Richard Kay was our guest. And for those of you that have listened already, a rare thing happened. I was speechless, and it was a beautiful thing. It was a very humbling experience. The show was incarceration, its effect on families. And Richard Kay, a very close friend of mine, he spoke from personal experience about his son that had been incarcerated and what it was like that whole chapter of their lives and I just have to tell you this his son is one of the most blessed human beings in the world to have Richard as his father it was just one beautiful experience that I was able to participate with Richard as he shared that last week so I encourage each one of you to go there it's very deeply emotional but it's just absolutely beautiful you know, that, that brings a lot of things up. One of the things that I'm always talking about in previous shows is changing your environment. One of the secrets to moving on with your life and having a better life when you're going through tough times is to change your environment. When we need to change, it's so important to, to change our environment. And one of the things that I really like about that is, is that, you know, it's never too late to make new friends. And so I just want to end my thank you to Richard for being on the show, my guest last week and saying that it's wonderful that, that Richard is my friend and that I have him there in my life. And so it used to be an expression that people would say, you know, so what's that person all about? Well, Richard's about nothing but wonderful things, and uh, I just thank you again. I, I'll, I'll stop on that because it is emotional what the show was about last week. You'll know, you'll know what I mean when you go back and listen to it. Well, with that said, Right Thinking Foundation is, is making some wonderful strides forward with what we're doing to uh, be out there and, and help other people move forward with their lives. The national online uh, support network is making good progress. And um, today's guest that I'm bringing on, it's, it's a person that I've just had the pleasure to meet within the last couple of weeks, although about seven or eight months ago, I listened to an interview that he did with Jeff Heiser. And so I want to thank Jeff for connecting me with today's guest. Uh, I got an email about uh, a week or two back, and, and it said, Steve, I want you to meet Thomas McRae. Thomas, I want you to meet Steve. Why? Because y'all just need to know each other. And I'd like to tell you that that is the beginning of a beautiful friendship that Thomas and I are starting. And... It's, it's just wonderful, and you listeners will know exactly what I mean as the show continues today. So I reached out to Thomas, and uh, we had a couple conversations, and I went back and listened to the interview that he did on Talk Network Radio with Jeff Heiser back in, I think it was February or March, somewhere back then. And 
boy, what a wonderful thing. Uh, so I'm going to bring Thomas McRae on. To, the name of today's show that I've titled today's show is uh, Keeping Your Dream Alive. By the end of the show, you'll know exactly what I mean. And so Thomas McRae is a writer, a poet. Uh, he's got a couple books. Most of his works are on poetry. And, um, and he's got a very, very interesting life, and I think he's going to be a great inspiration to, to all of us. And so with that said, Thomas, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. How are you doing? Thomas, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And um, one of the reasons I'm doing great is because you're my guest today. So what I what I really want to want to say to you, Thomas, is I've gotten deep into uh, into you the last couple of weeks. I listened to your show twice with with Jeff. Uh, I've read your book that we're going to talk about, "Pimp in the Pulpit." Very interesting title. Uh, I've been reading some of your poetry, but I've had very very good conversations with you, and uh, and so I'm enjoying our relationship. How about you? Yes, honestly, I have been enjoying just getting to know you, and I really am honored and blessed just to have this opportunity to speak to you, and I want to take the time to acknowledge Jeff Heiser for introducing us. It really has been a blessing. Jeff's an amazing guy, and so, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I don't know if you know this, but he sold Talk Network Radio to Chuck Christie in Norfolk, Virginia, and Jeff is going to go back out and do great things like he always did, mostly on the speaking uh, circuit and touching a lot of lives in person. He he really loves being connected with people live like that. And so um, opportunity came up, and I introduced uh, Jeff to Chuck, and Chuck took over the, the station, and um, and it's, it's, it's going to be beautiful for everybody. So Thomas, what I want to say before we get deep into uh, your poetry and, 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 and pimping the pulpit and so forth, this show is dedicated to helping people that are going through hardship and those that want to be there, there to help them. So when you're on the show today as a guest, I, I, I did a lot of thinking about, so how's the message going to go today? What is it that I'm going to be able to help bring out that's going to help other people? Thomas, as you know, I, I go all over the country and, and I work with people that are incarcerated, returning citizens in prisons, and letting them know that there's a lot, a lot of people out there like me that are there to help you when you get out, to, to give you that support that you're going to need. And, and so I go around and I, I give them the invitation to, to connect with right thinking when you get out and let right thinking help connect you with other people. The support network is all about helping returning citizens build their own personal support network and introduce them to local people that they can, they can connect with to help them move forward so that when they get out, they won't be alone and not know which direction to go and then end up slipping back into some of their, their, their old haunts, so to speak, and, uh, and not be able to move forward. In today's show, I have meditated on this for about the last week and a half, just trying to think, okay, I'm bringing you on. We're going to talk about your poetry. We're going to hear your message. But what is it specifically that I hope that we can achieve by having you as my guest today other than to have everybody go out and, and, and buy your books and, uh, and do that because they need to support you. Your stuff is fantastic. And what I came up with was the title of the show, Keeping the Dream Alive. You are an example of a person who's gone through 
a life that's not so so easy. There's a lot of pain in it that we're going to bring out, a lot of difficulty. But you have managed to find a way to keep yourself moving forward. And that's that's the message that, that we're going to give people today is is how can they how can we help people have a better life by knowing more about you and hearing your message. So that's my introduction today. So Thomas, you are a very, very uh, hardworking person. Um, and you're a writer and you work a full time job. I uh, you live in Queens, New York. Is that right? Yes, Far Rockaway, Queens, New York. Rockaway. Is there Rockaway Park? There's is that a big amusement park up there? Well, it used to be many years ago, but it was a really bad fire, so it kind of kind of got eliminated. But there's talk that they're trying to bring it back, so we'll see what happens. Did you go there when you were a kid? Yeah, actually, my uncle took me a few times uh, when my brother and I was small, like eight and nine. And as a matter of fact, the uncle I'm referring to, he's the husband of my aunt who's inspired the, the book, Pimp in the Pulpit. I got I to gotta laugh. I, I read an interview that you did with a woman named Fiona McVie, and uh, and and there's there's one one question she asked you that 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 I gotta I gotta I gotta read to get you started, and once I get you started, you help yourself. Uh, let let me find that question here, cause I, I just had to laugh. Here here's the question she asked you: How did you come up with the title of your current book? To be perfectly right. honest, Pimp in the Pulpit was inspired by my aunt on my mother's side. Because she is a con artist masquerading as a minister. And with everything that's been going on, I felt it was only fitting to give that honor to her, which inspired, which transpired pimp in the pulpit. I'm just laughing because you were just calling her out, and you say that it was fitting to give her that honor. <laughs> so, well, yeah, tell us about it. I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you experience some of the things I've seen, and you come across people who try to portray themselves as um, God-fearing and holy people. All the while, they're taking that that false, uh, false, I guess you could say, identification of themselves and masquerading around the world. When the reality is, they're going around just ripping people off and trying to con and hustle you. You kind of start to see things in different perspectives because. Growing up as a child, she she was actually my favorite aunt. You know, I I. I, I, I and she was one of the people I admired. And as I got older, I saw that I still love her, but I, I realized she's not what I thought. She's not nearly as sincere and genuine as she portrays herself to be. And she just does a lot of backstabbing and just things that's not what I would consider holy or religious. And that's why I named the book after her, because She's not a very good person, but yet she tries so hard to portray something she's not. And if she spent more time actually living that life and being the person she pretends to be, then maybe she would have more blessings and more good things coming her way. And as a result, that's why I made Pimp in the Pulpit. Thomas, as as you talk about this, we we can go deep here. I know that you're a you're a really deep, good, sensitive person. And that you wrote this book, Pimp in the Pulpit, that I read. And for those of you that would like to read it, it's called Pimp in the Pulpit by Thomas Leslie McRae. And it's available in several different places that you can get this book. Uh, I think you can get it on um, 
Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and some other places. It's 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 easy to find. Well, Thomas, you have called her out, and and just just now when you when you gave your introduction to why you named the book after your aunt or who inspired you, um, how did she take it that you were this direct about calling her out like that? Um, we haven't really spoken much about it. I'm not even sure she read the book. I told her and several other people in the family what I was doing. I've been telling them for years. Eventually, I'm going to write a short novel based on my life experiences within the family. Some people, they was like, well, yeah, that sounds good. You should do it. Some people was like, well, you better say I'm a good person and portray me in a good light. And some people just kind of shrugged it off. They didn't care. So I honestly don't know if she read it or not. I did tell her, but I can honestly say this much. Most of the stuff that I've written in the book, it may not be all fact, but it was inspired by a lot of things that happened. And most people could relate to it because we all have someone or somebody in our lives that just isn't living up to the standards we feel they should uphold, especially when they're trying to um, portray themselves as the most honorable person closest to Jesus Christ and God himself. And to me, that's just sad because people spend so much time portraying themselves and pretending to be something they're not instead of just living life and being the best person they can be because you can inspire so many people with positivity, self-control, and self-respect. But that's just my personal opinion. I, I agree with you, Thomas. So before we go any further, I want to slow this down. I agree with what you're saying. And I don't want anybody to think that I'm just trying to kind of put it out there with you and sort of sort of say, well, gosh, Thomas, you went really hard on this, uh, this aunt of yours. And, uh, you know, wow. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that you have really, in your mind, told it like it is. And you felt that it's that it's it's correct to just be open and straightforward and honest in this situation, and um, and I'm the same way, and in my own family I got I got stuff too. Like you said, everybody's got it. Um, a lot of them hide it and cover it up and don't want to let it get out in the open too much. And and there are different attitudes and philosophies about how much you should should publicly uh, uh, criticize other people. But that's not that's not my point right now. My point is is that. Thomas, you are living in an environment that's, that's pretty prevalent out there. Uh, just to sum it up, and I'll let you describe it even more, you've come up in an environment where there's a lot of things all around you. The world is full of hypocrisy, full of people that aren't honest. There's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of things of that nature out there that, that you just don't like whatsoever. You know it's not godly, and... And, and you want to not be part of that. Is that a fair statement? Yes, that's a very fair and accurate statement. Okay. What I'm, what I'm going to connect here is this. As I meditated on what you and I can do today to inspire other people to have a better life and to not go into those dark places and to be more open and honest and loving to other people, the, the population that that I go around the country and returning citizens, uh, people that are incarcerated, many of them have lives that are very, very similar. Their environment is very similar to the environment that, that you, you speak about. Is that a fair statement? Yes, I honestly think that's a fair statement you just made, yes. Okay, so, so here's what I'm trying to say. I want 
everybody listening to know that this this show that's going to go on the archive when i go around the country and i'm motivating and inspiring and loving on people in prisons to let them know that you're loved when you get out you know there's there's people out there that love you and move yourself forward so that you can change your life and 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 go into a better place make more of your life be more godly i will be telling people this is a show that i want you to listen to because thomas mccray understands the environment that you are going back to the one that you came from and and this is going to be one of my best shows to connect with people a lot of my shows are or, or giving them ways that they can read more and change and learn things and things of this nature, et cetera. But this show is going to be a, a really great connecting point for, for them to know that Right Thinking Foundation understands. I connect with people. I communicate with people. And Thomas McRae is one that on this show, he's going to talk to you about what you can do to not go back to a life and be part of that anymore. And, and how to get beyond that, to get above that. So, Thomas, uh, let me read a couple of your poems real quick here, and then you pick whatever you want to to talk about, okay? Um, there's a woman in your life named Virginia Bell, and you wrote this in loving memory to Mrs. Virginia Bell. We lost a true angel that could never be replaced. Her heart was genuine, but never once fake. She will always be missed and loved by so many. In other words, Virginia, you're a phenomenal sweet lady. I pray you are in peace because you desire nothing less. May you prosper in heaven and soar through the rest. This poem is a testament and one of a kind to the sweetest human being that ever gave me time. I appreciate and acknowledge having you as a friend because in the end, you will always be kin. We lost a true angel and I'm hurting inside. My condolences to the family, but now she is alive. That's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment, Thomas. What would you like to tell us about your relationship with Mrs. Bell? Well, Miss Virginia Bell, she was a co-worker of mine who um, I've known for many years. I worked for the New York City Housing Authority. Those of you who don't know what that is, that's basically um, affordable and low-income families that lives in, um, I guess you could say, uh, well, basically short, low-income apartments and stuff like that in the city of New York. And my job maintains the maintenance and field work, as in electrical, plumbing, caretaker, which is another term for porter, and so on and so forth. But she worked in the office. Now, Miss Virginia Bell, like I was saying, is a very sweet, beautiful, loving, nurturing person. She, she died from cancer a few years ago. And it just, it really went to the core of my heart because I'm, I've gotten to know her, her family, her grandchildren, her husband, Mr. James, and um, her mother, who's still alive to this day. And she has always been more genuinely nice and and nurturing to me than most of the people I grew up with or people I'm related to. And that touched me in many ways because when you grew up in an environment where you love people who didn't really love you back, you spent a lot of your time looking for that love and reciprocated to receive it. And she was one of the few people who just reached out to me instantly. And I, I'll never forget her because she's always been, I would like to think, a guardian angel in my eyes. So that's who Miss Virginia Bell is to me. Very nice. Now, Listen to My Words is another poem that you sent me. And I, I'd like to read that because that brings out a lot about your life also. Listen to my words while I express my pain. 
July 29th was the day I became. Six years later, my heart became plagued. Why do you think I walk with my shame? Maybe it's because my father said somethings, and till this day, I'm still emotionally chained. I remember his words like the Ten Commandments. Thomas, you're an accident, so why did we have you? Nineteen years later, I'm his number one dude, and all I really want is his happiness to bloom. In other words, brothers, be a better man because without love, how can we still stand? Listen to my words while I express my shame. For now and forever, my blood type is pain. Thomas, Thomas, you, you, you are a descriptive, deep, emotional writer. You're, you really are. Um, tell me about your life in regard to what I just read. Well, first let me just say I love my father dearly. He worked his blood off to make sure my brother and I had a place to live, clothes on our back, food in our belly. So I'll never say anything bad about him. But when we were smaller, him and my brother, they were playing dozens. You know, that's the game where people make jokes about each other. And I guess I might have laughed a little too hard for my brother's joke. So he got angry and then he said those words. I was an accident. And he don't know why they had me referring to him and my mother. And people don't realize, but as much as a physical blow hurts, a verbal attack especially when it comes from someone that means a great deal to you. It can leave a scar. And as I got older, it doesn't hurt quite as much, but it always left an impression on me. And it makes me feel like, you know, you have to keep your guard up, be mindful of what you say and do, because you don't want to never put yourself in that predicament to be hurt again. So when I wrote that poem, I was in a pretty angry, hurt, and bitter place. Now, like I said before, I love my father. We still, to this day, have a very good relationship. We worked out a lot of issues. But that was the time in my life where I, I took a really major blow. And it, it still, on occasion, it comes back and bothers me, but not to the point where I'm angry, just to the point where I, I want to have kids of my own and make sure I don't make the same mistakes he made and leave that type of in, um, emotional impasse into my kid's spirit and mind. So that's where that poem came from. You know, Thomas, I said that we can, we, we've got a lot more in common than what people might know yet, but I wrote a magazine article for Connect 10 magazine in May or so, and I, and I shared that I had an experience with my father where, I, you know, I, I didn't go in his house or talk to him for 20 years almost. I mean, I saw him at family events, but he was like an uncle, not a father. And, and I'll bet you that I'll bet you that 90% of all the people that we're trying to reach to tell them that, hey, you know, I love you, and forgiveness is the secret here, you know? It's like we've all been through pain, but we've got to move on, and we've got to know what forgiveness is. You know, we've got to give forgiveness. And so, I mean, that's kind of the theme that we're speaking about here is that there's a lot of hurts from when we were young, but we don't want to let them hold us back now from, from, from knowing what the Lord's got in store for us, do we? No, you definitely don't want to hold a grudge because truth truth is, some some people, it doesn't really bother them. Like, I, I have an old saying from my grandmother on my father's side. It makes no sense to be angry with people or holding a grudge because most, no, excuse me, not most, half the people you're angry with, they don't care. And then the other half, they're not even aware of it. So all you're doing is hurting yourself. It comes a point in your life where you have to learn to forgive and forget. Or at the very least, forgive and move past it and try to be better, do better, and want to accomplish more in life and inspire your kids to want to do the same thing as you. You should never um, 
you should never keep a chip on your shoulder because it just life is too short. And the time you spend being mad, you could accomplish a hundred other things. That's great advice. I've I've heard more than a few sermons on the subject that a person that doesn't know how to give forgiveness, it's themselves that they're causing the most pain to. Let me let me introduce some scripture today. Uh, I always like to bring in some scripture. The scripture that I chose for today, that uh, after I read a few of these, they're all the same, by the way. I'm just going to read different versions of them just to make a point. Um, I think that you're going to connect to this. Let me do it. It comes from Romans 12, verse chapter 12, verse 2. It's about renewal of the mind. And so I'm going to read about five different versions, New International Version, and then I'll just keep tell you which one it is. And then I think this is kind of like a setting a tone here. The New Inter International Version. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Same thing in the New Living Translation. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The English Standard Version, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The International Standard Version, do not be conformed to this world, but continuously be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may be able to determine what God's will is, what is proper, pleasing, and perfect. The last one I'll read is New American Standard. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. i got to read one more. This is from an Aramaic Bible in plain English. And do not imitate this world, but be transformed by the renovation of your minds, and you shall distinguish what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So, so Thomas, uh, <laughs> that kind of sums up a lot of stuff that we both believe, doesn't it? Yeah, it honestly does. It's just interesting, though, how people people can allow their pain, their, their misfortune, dictate their lives, and that's not how it should be. You should allow that to motivate you and inspire you to look for a better way. Because there's more to life than hanging around the corner or, you know, rolling the dice with your friends or smoking the joint or whatever people are doing out there that just, it's just not helping them personally. You should, you should allow your environment not dictate who you are, but let it inspire you to try to be the best person you possibly can. So instead of hanging out with the person you know is out there selling drugs or robbing people, don't be with them, but go and use their, their lives as an example to transcend and, you know, go try to get your GED if you don't have a high school diploma. Go fill out applications for work before you can find jobs. And do more constructive and positive things. Even if you join the gym and work out and uh, the boxing, take up the boxing classes, karate, whatever. Just find something constructive with your life and take that first step to give yourself meaning and fulfillment. Don't don't just accept that there's bad things around you and that's what you're meant to do is bad. Because in my, I, my personal belief, I don't think nobody 
really are bad people. You got some bad people, but for the most part, I think people are good. They just mess up. And it doesn't have to be that way. If you're motivated and you feel like you can accomplish something and there's a goal in your life that you want, just go ahead and go, go out there and try to get it because life is too short. And you got you to gotta fight for what you want in this world. You can't just expect anything and everything to be handed to you. Thomas, what I love about what we're doing is that I want to tell the listeners right now. When you get to know Thomas through his books and through his poetry, and if you're blessed like I am to have conversations with him, you're going to find out that he's just not talking. He's just not putting out a lot of words and sounding, sounding good. He's living what he's talking about. What, what he just said, and he can, he can amplify this, for all of us that, that have had it rough and that have a chip on our shoulder and are living with anger and lack of forgiveness, it's so easy to explain why you're irritated with things and why you're angry. But it's not so easy to let it go and move forward. But I tell you, once you do, your life is going to open up because when you turn to the Lord, it's going to be different for you. You know, I was telling my, my wife just yesterday, I came up with a real simple little example. You know, I read Napoleon Hill. I'm very involved with the Napoleon Hill Foundation constantly. And, and there's an expression in Napoleon Hill books all the time, you know, that thought without action is not going to be toward success. You're not going to have success without taking action. And Thomas has taken action, and we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time in a minute talking about how he built his his career and how he perseveres and how he holds on to that dream. But I was telling my wife just yesterday, you know, you can sit here all day long and talk about how the yard is going to, it would be so much better if the yard work got done and the yard looked beautiful. Well, you can sit there in your mind and, and, and in a chair inside the house and picture the yard when it's all nice and manicured and the leaves are up and the edging's been done and the grass is cut and the bushes look good and all the beautiful things. But the hard work doesn't start until you start cleaning up that yard. In other words, you can imagine how beautiful it'll look all day long, but when you get out there and got to put in seven or eight hours of getting yourself all into the yard and pulling weeds, what I'm trying to say is this. A lot of times it's very hard when you decide what you want to do to move it in the right direction, but it's worth it. It takes hard work. And if you're afraid of hard work, you're not going to get anywhere. And so my analogy took a little long to put out there, but what I'm saying is, sure, just picture something really nice in your mind and then feel defeated that you never achieved something. Well, if you roll up your sleeves and you put on those garden gloves and you get out there and you start pulling weeds and then you know that you're working toward a result that is what you want that's going to be very satisfying and fulfilling once you get there. It's worth the effort. Thomas, when you first decided that you had to have a, a way to deal with your pain, uh, in some of the things I've read about you, you, you found writing at a very early age. And, and Tell us about what writing means to you and how did you start to become a writer. And as you tell that, I won't interrupt you for, for, for a little while here because I, I, I just want to hear it myself. Tell us how you persevered and stuck with it and just kept at it because 
It's done remarkable things in your life. It's kept you out of trouble. It's, it's made you go to a higher place. It's taught you a lot about love. I know that. So tell us your story. Well, first, let me just say, um, what inspired me to write was actually my older brother, Marshall Edward McCoy Jr. He wrote a beautiful poem when we were in uh, elementary school. And it's basically, I don't remember all the things that were said, so I don't want to start trying to recite something. But the book context, excuse me, not the book, the poem, was about black men in America trying to be better fathers and role models to the kids in their community and their home. And the words that he used to this day, it gives me a tingling feel. Just think about that particular event in my life when he read that poem. And from that point on, it inspired me to write. And every time I pick up a pen and paper, I just, I just feel that same tingling sensation, whether I'm trying to write a novel or some of my poetry. And like you were saying before, I've written, as best of my knowledge, I think 11 po poetry books and two short fictions. Every book I've written has meaning, it has uh, inner deep passion. It's just, it's just me expressing a big piece of my soul. So when I go out there and I, I recite a poem or I try to promote a book, it's not so much that I'm trying to make a profit, I'm trying to give a piece of myself to the people who I think could actually benefit from it. Because even the, um, this book that I'm reading right now, as I'm talking to you, The Best of Thomas McCray, it's a collection of all the poems I've written over the years from each book that's, that's particularly my favorite. And you have some spiritual, political, personal, death, and um, holiday poems. And it's a big collection of book poems that really just, it means a great deal to me personally. And I feel like when I, I read it and I go out in the streets and sell the books to people, and they read a couple of pages while I'm standing there. At some point, I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing something good because it touches people's lives. And that's the main thing you want to do when you're here. You want to be an inspiration. Even if you inspire two people every day, that's two people you actually did something good for. And I think that's the first step to open up the, the gates to heaven and helping you walk in, knowing that you did something without looking for something in return. I've given a lot more books than I've actually sold because it's not about the money. It's more so about just trying to reach people and get them to see you in a different light. And I, I think that's best what describes me as a person and my writing. That's beautiful. Would you like to read some of your poems that you would like to share with us? Sure, actually I would. Um, this poem here is called Inspiration, Part 2. I turn to you, Father, when no one else cares. But thanks to your glory, my soul is now sincere. You guided my heart through pain and sorrow and gave my soul a purpose to follow. I acknowledge you, Lord, for all my blessings because you are the one who gives great lessons. Thank you, Father, for giving me grace and teaching me honor as well as faith. I turn to you, Father, when all else fails, but thanks to your glory, I'm free from any hell. And that's just one of the many spiritual poems I've written that I just love writing, and it's kind of like a person who likes writing music. Even, even though I know I can't sing, I enjoy hearing the melody, the words, and when I put my poetry on paper and just take my time writing it and expressing myself, I feel a real sense of accomplishment, excuse me, accomplishment, because it's, 
is coming from within. And I believe God is God is trying to show me the best way to reach people is by your talent. And some of us have unique talent. Some of us can dance, which for the record, I can't do that. Um, some of us can sing, and I can't do that, but I can write poetry. I can write novels. And we all have a natural gift. Some of us take longer to, to master it or learn it. But once you kind of grasp what it is you can do that's talent-wise, you should always use it and get it out there for everybody to see it. Wow. You know, you you read Inspiration Part 2, I think you you called it. I've I've got Inspiration, the first one right here. Let me let me read that. When life got too rugged and my soul shed some tears, may heaven be the journey I see through my fears. I pray to you, Father, when no one else cared and appreciate the fact you made my heart sincere. I know that your love is more precious than time because you're the inspiration that keeps love alive. You inspire the innocent to mature and grow wise while delivering a message that makes the devil cry. When life got too rugged and my soul shed some tears, my heart remained with Jesus and his blood washed my sins. You know, I love reading your poetry. I, I thank you for sharing it with me. Um, gosh, there's so much there's so much going on right now. You know, you have persevered from a life that was difficult with family members that you know are not the right kind of people maybe let me let me read the very last part of we'll get into pimp in the pulpit if you like to uh, now pimp in the pulpit it's a biographical work autobiographical work that's told in a story and uh, it gets right to the point what I want to what I want to tell everybody about pimp in the pulpit it's a short book. It's about 38 pages, I think, something like that. It's a quick read, but I, I, it does have a lot of language in it, but the language is very specific to the uh, real-life uh, uh, events that you're describing. I understand that, so I'm just putting a little warning out there for anybody that, that reads it um, because it's, very, it's, got, it's got a lot of language in it. I'll just leave it at that. But, but you, know, you know what, Thomas? Have you read John Steinbeck? I, I've read John Steinbeck my whole life. He's probably one of the greatest American writers in, in, that we've ever had. Have you read John Steinbeck? No, actually, I haven't had the honor and the privilege to read him. Oh, he's he's written the classics. He wrote The Grapes of Wrath. He he wrote he wrote Cannery Row, uh, of Mice and Men, a lot of books. But his book Cannery Row, they made a movie out of it with Nick Nolte and uh, and Deborah Winger, and I couldn't figure out who your story or your book, it's, it's like a long story, but it's, it's a short book, Pimp in the Pulpit. I couldn't figure out for about a week after I read it who, where it reminded me. But I'll tell you what, you've got elements of John Steinbeck in your book. He, he is the very best I've ever read of what we call local color describing the people and the scenes the way they really are. And, and oh, Cannery Row is just an amazing story. And what he does is he develops characters, and each one of them is a personality, a real personality, a real piece of work. And, and that's what you've got in your book. Uh, your, 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 your story is so vivid. It's, it's hey, it's, it's crazy. 
Uh, I say it's crazy because it's very, very funny. It's very humorous, but it's also very rough. How about telling us about the storyline of Pimp in the Pulpit? And, and I've just compared it to John Steinbeck's Cannery Row with the characters in there. And uh, I'll tell you another one, Tyler Perry, you know, Madeira. Uh, <laughs> your, yours has a lot of elements because you've probably seen all of Tyler Perry's movies, right? Well, what kills me is is that Tyler Perry plays four or five people in a movie, you know? <laughs> it, but it deals with some really, really serious situations. Do you, has anybody ever compared Pimp in the Pulpit to one of Tyler Perry's movies? Yes, actually, several people have told me um, that I should try to send him a, a, a letter or contact him in any kind of way I can because they feel like that the book has a similar similarity to the movies in the context that he's made. And, you know, actually, I think that's a good idea. So I'm in the process of just trying to find the best way to reach out to him and see if he'll respond. I've reached out to several um, movie and TV script, uh, TV shows. I've gotten some feedback. Some of them, basically, they don't take unsolicited material. And some of them said that they would take it under advisement and check it out. So we'll see what happens. Um, I think Pimp in the Pulpit is, well, first of all, like you said earlier, it's just, there is some harsh language. I want people to be aware of that. So you have small kids and teenagers, you shouldn't read that book around them. You definitely don't want to read it around them. But the message is clear that life and sometimes even families may not be the best circumstances, but you can't let that dictate who you are, what you're trying to be. Nothing, nothing in life is easy. You gotta, you gotta really want something, especially if you have a goal that you want to accomplish. Like me personally, I want to try to buy a house, and just like my family and I can have more room to live together. At some point, I want to travel the world, see different places. I want to get married, have kids. And when you have a plan, you have certain things you're trying to do. You have to be patient because just because you may want it, it may not be ready for you just yet because God has a different set of plans for you. And you have to be patient and willing to sacrifice to get what you want in life. Now, in my case, I've never really thought of myself so much as a writer, but more as a person who likes telling stories. And the book just speaks for itself. I have an aunt who's a minister. I have a crazy family. And Temple the Pulpit, in my opinion, it's, it's a short fiction, but it's one of the funniest and humorous books you'll ever read. And you'll definitely get a, a good laugh out of it. And it'll also inspire you because the end of the book has a lot of specific details of why I wrote it, such as I wanted to branch out and be my own man and not not um, allow myself to be a stereotype, somebody who just accepts the fact that life is, is not the best. So I'm just going to allow myself to fall under those cracks. Thomas, let me read the last chapter. It's, it's a short little chapter, and uh, it'll show people your writing style. We're coming up on five minutes, Thomas, so I just want to let you know that, and uh, I want to bring the final story here, Chapter 10. In the book, you are Edward Jones. That's the character that you are. Uh, I won't tell the whole plot, but it's about a 95-year-old, your 95-year-old grandmother's birthday, and, and it's a bunch of family fighting over who's going to pay for it, and your, 
and your 95-year-old grandmother's got the foulest mouth of any human being I've ever listened to <laughs> or ever read. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, my. To be honest with you, it was very mild what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. So this chapter 10 doesn't have any language, so I'm going to read it on the air. Uh, Edward Jones was sitting at his job reflecting on his life and what he had accomplished while taking into consideration that he never really got the full love and support from a large portion of his family members from neither his mother's nor his father's side. But Edward refused to feel sorry for himself. In fact, he made a decision right then and there that he was going to really make a hard push to promote his newest book project and wasn't going to expect any help from anyone. Considering that the supportive track record of most of the people he loves was virtually non-existent. Edward Jones was known for being that shy, sensitive boy who never went out of his way to hurt anyone for the most part. But now he believes he has to be more aggressive and assertive, especially if he's going to walk this journey on his own. Edward Jones always believed in his heart that the people he loved overall meant no harm, but that was a time when his eyes were blinded by one-sided loyalty and ignorance. But today is a new day, and he is ready for anything and everything because he walks with a much more positive attitude and an even stronger confidence than before. Edward Jones has opened his eyes and can finally see what his mother and Aunt Gladys told him years ago, that not everyone who says they love you genuinely loves you because their actions speak volumes. And that, my friends, was some of the best advice Edward Jones ever received in his lifetime. In conclusion, this may be the last chapter of this book, but it's definitely not the last story to be told. Wow. You know, uh, hey, I, I, I really did enjoy reading your book. It's very, very, uh, it's a really good read. And so um, tell us real quick how people can, can get books, uh, buy your books. Well, they can order my book online at um, Amazon.com, Googlebooks.com. Uh, Barnes and Noble, and even fishpond.com. But if anything, you can always just go to Google and type my name, Thomas McRae, and pretty much all the different sites that have come up, whether it's interviews, um, reviews from books, you name it, even the newspaper articles from the local paper where I live in Fort Rockaway. That's in the online. So anything with my name on it, you can just pretty much find it. You go to Google and type Thomas McRae, and it'll come up. But the main sites is Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and uh, Google Books. Thomas, uh, we're coming right to the very end now. Um, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we get off the air? Yes, actually, I would. First of all, I'd like to thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. It's an honor and a privilege. Oh, it's my honor. You're but, quite welcome. Secondly, I want to acknowledge Jeff Heiser for introducing us because he's a beautiful and wonderful human being. And the last thing I want to say to your, your, um, the people who are listening, no matter what happens in life, because we all, we all have our problems, you know, um, life has a tendency to knock you down. But the main thing is you make sure you get up and you keep fighting. You never lay down. You never say die. And that's the message I want to give. Always stand on your two feet and always keep trying to be the best you can be. That is a beautiful message and it's going to resonate with all the people that I'm hoping will be hearing me speak and directing them to Right Thinking Foundation's sh programs that are that are out there on the archives. I think that we've achieved what we set out to do today, Thomas. Uh, at least I do. I, I hope you do. I think it was yes, I, do. Uh, 
I, I, I loved it, Thomas. We'll have to get you back on the show some more and share some more of your, your, your writings because they're very, they're powerful. They're inspirational. And so in closing, I would, I would just like to thank you again, Thomas, and, uh, and compliment you one more time for being a person that has overcome tremendous adversity and obstacles in your life and that you've chosen good over bad. You, you, you're not, you're not complaining. You know, you have to have independence. Um, you're working hard. Uh, that the, the title of the show that I said was keeping the dream alive. I know from my research that you started, you found out about writing about 10 years old. You've been writing since you know, professionally since about 2002 or so, about 15 years. And, and you're very, very focused and you're, you spend time with your family. You're a good person. You're trying to do good for the world. So with, with all that said, I just want to encourage you to just keep it up and, and go write that script for a, for a Tyler Perry movie. Uh, you've got it in you. You really do. And I, and I want to just say to everybody that's ever going to listen to this, to this show, let Thomas be an inspiration of someone that didn't give up, that overcame those obstacles, that didn't just offer excuses, that put in the hard work and the effort and never lost sight of the prize at the end there. And he gave it to the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that said, Thomas, God bless you. And you just have a wonderful week and we'll, we'll be talking soon. And everybody else also have a wonderful week. God bless. God bless everybody. Take care, Steve. Thanks for listening to Right Thinking with Steve Copeland. I look forward to being with you again next week. And remember, don't quit. Plan ahead. It will get better. God bless you and have a great week.